Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Sometimes it pays to clean up, by the way. I was cleaning up my basement and I found something that'll go very well with this course. And that is my college, one of my college professors, when she retired, learned Braille and used to Braille a lot of things for me. And one of the things she had Brailled for me is a thing called um, Words from Classical Mythology and History. And it's a whole list of expressions or words that you might hear and you might know what they mean or you might not. The kind of thing they might ask you on playtime, maybe. And so I I found this thing and I thought, this is perfect for this course. So for the next however many weeks it takes us to get through, I'm going to give us four of them a week just to, to look at. So we have four of these today for the first time. So every lesson now will start with words from classical mythology and history. And you can expect that. The, this week, we, the first one is... Adonis. And notice that it gives you, if you have the notes, N period, which means that it's a noun. Uh, they always tell you what parts of speech this, this word is. So this word is a, a noun. And it means Adonis is a very handsome young man. Um, there was a young man in mythology named Adonis, and he was a very handsome young man. He was loved by Aphrodite goddess of love, and he ends up getting killed by a wild boar, I think, in the story. Um, and they always give you a section, which I indent twice. So I don't know how your indents work out in your Braille or in your notes, but I always indent this part twice. Typical use. Here's how it would be used in English. Um, Joanna's former boyfriend was not exactly handsome, but her new one is quite an Adonis. And if someone calls you an Adonis, that is a compliment. Mm -hmm. uh, or if you call someone an Adonis, that is quite a compliment. So uh, that's who that is. Uh, the next word is Aegis. It's a noun and it means shield or protector or auspices or protectorship can mean any of those things. And it comes about because of the aegis, which Zeus had, which was a kind of shield cover that he used, um, that he would use. And so that's why it's called that. Um, now, the example in typical use, an international force under the aegis of the United Nations has been dispatched to the troubled area. I can think of a much better example than that. This lively Latin call is under the aegis of Cindy Hollis. In other words, under her protection. She's the one that's, you know, helping us do it, you could say, keeping it going. Uh, okay. Um, Amazon. This is one you all probably have heard. An Amazon. It's a noun. It means a strong, tall, strong, masculine woman. And it comes from the Amazons in mythology who were mythical, a mythical race of women warriors. And by the way, I'll tell you a little, 16, star, star, star. little more than you, than you might not know. And that is the word Amazon really means breastless. 
Okay. It comes from, you know, the word mastectomy, well, or mastectomy, whatever that word is. It's the same Greek word because that word means breast. So an Amazon is a woman who is breastless. Now, they may have called these women that just out of meanness because any woman who's a great warrior is flat chested, you know, it might just been masculine meanness. On the other hand, some people think these women may have actually amputated their, their own breasts so that they could shoot arrows better. And so that's where the word Amazon comes from. Whether they amputated their breasts or whether they used a bunch of flat chested women, we don't know. Um, and you may know there is a river in South America called the Amazon River. And the reason it's called that is when people discovered it, they saw some, they thought they saw some huge women along its banks, and therefore it got named the Amazon River. So that's why. Now, typical use. Pioneer women were veritable Amazons performing heavy household chores in addition to toiling in the fields beside their menfolk. And so uh, that's what that means. So if you're a girl and someone calls you an Amazon, it might not necessarily be a compliment, uh, depending on, uh, I suppose, how they mean it. Um, ambrosial. This is an adjective. Exceptionally pleasing to taste or smell. Extremely delicious. Excellent. Um, and this is because the gods, you may remember from when we talked about mythology, they ate two kinds of food. They ate, they drank nectar. They drank this stuff called nectar, which was some kind of delicious drink. Uh, they also drank wine too, I think, but they did drink this nectar. And you still see that word in um, the bees, the stuff the bees suck out of flowers is called nectar. And you also see it when you buy a can of something like apricot juice. They still call it apricot nectar, I guess, because it's a thick kind of juice. Uh, so they, the gods ate nectar and this stuff called ambrosia, uh, which was the food of the gods. And I must say that uh, this word means a little more, <laughs> a little more to me because um, we used to do Christmas projects when I taught. And one of the projects we would do when we did the unit on the gods, I would let my class get together in a group and make this stuff called ambrosia. It still exists today. And it's uh, a mixture of, it's made in different ways, but it's usually like orange slices, grapefruit slices, coconut, um, marshmallows, maybe, maybe pineapple, depends. And the reason I'm laughing is, I had a rule that people disobeyed every year at least once. And that rule was, you may not leave this in this classroom. Once you do your project and people eat it, take it home. Every year, we would find a container of it in the back of the room for two or three days. Every year, we'd find at least one. And you talk about a disgusting thing when you saw that. But anyway, uh, um. And then, of course, they'd say, well, I told him to take it home. Well, I told her to take it home. And that's, yeah, anyway. Um, but the typical use is the ambrosial aroma of the roast whetted our appetites. So anything that's really good is ambrosial. Okay. 
Any questions, comments, snide remarks, anything anybody wants to know or say about that? I'm sorry, did okay. you have a question? Somebody's asking something, but I can't hear them very good. No? Is everybody hearing me? Yes, huh? we are. Okay, good. All of a sudden, everybody's getting faint for some reason. Um. Anyway, I wanted to today, I'm increasing my volume a little bit. I wanted to today uh, talk a little bit about Roman government since we didn't get to do that the other day. And I want to do that today because it does relate to our own government since the people that found that our government really went back and looked at Roman government really knew a lot about that. And I just thought it'd be a, a good thing to go over today br briefly. Um, Before you get started with that, I you do have a hand. Yes. Okay. Mary Carla? Gary, I just wanted to tell you I'm here. Oh, good, good. So, I don't know what I missed, but I'm sorry. I'm uh, the late. only thing you missed is we have a new thing on these lessons now called Words from Mythology, Words from Classical Mythology and History, and we're going to go over four of them every day, and that's the first oh, thing in the lesson, okay. and that's what we went over. My professor, uh, I had a professor who found that somewhere and brailed it for me. So oh, nice, nice. It right from, I said it, 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 it's an advantage, Carla, to cleaning your basement occasionally. When you find things like this. Yes, I know. I need to do that. Thank and by the way, I also talked about something else you probably have had experience with. And that is when you ask a group to fix some particular kind of food like ambrosia. And you say, rule number one is you don't leave it here when the day is over. You take it home. But three days later, you find it in the back of the room still there. And they say, well, I did, I thought he was taking it home. I thought she was taking it home. No, I, never, I never had that experience oh, because we, we weren't oh, we allowed. Every year once. We're not allowed to eat in my classroom. We have to go elsewhere. Okay, that's probably not that. No, we could eat at the end of the period as long as it wasn't. The thing we couldn't do is have a party. So they wouldn't let you have drinks and food. You could only have food. If you brought drinks in, that was a party and you'd be in trouble for it. So uh, they let you eat, though. We used to do Boost of Noel out the wazoo at Christmas time. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about this. Roman government. And the first thing I want to talk about is the thing called the cursus honorum. Now, first of all, notice the word, this word cursus honorum means order of offices. And so you can tell that the word office, the word for office in Latin is the word honor, which is where we get our word honor. So to the Romans, holding an office was an honor. You didn't get paid for it, but it was something you did because you wanted that honor of having that office. And so, uh, in fact, it might even cost you money to have an office, as we're going to see. And so the cursus honorum is the order of offices that you could, that you had to go through. You couldn't just decide one day, you couldn't just wake up and say, I'm going to be consul. No, you had to go through the specific order of offices. You know how we, in our country, we sometimes have kind of a myth that says anybody can grow up to be president. Well, That's true to a point, but most people don't just like suddenly say, I'm going to be president. I'm going to run for president and run for it and make it. The, I guess the closest guy we had to that maybe was Jimmy Carter, but he was a governor, wasn't he? Wasn't he governor of Georgia before he got to be president? I think he was. Hmm. Yeah. So, you, you know, most people have a certain 
you expect them either to be governor or a senator or, you know, some have some political role before uh, they actually take over as president. And that's true here, too. You can't just wake up and say, I'm going to be consul. You've got to go through a prescribed order of offices. OK, and we're going to talk about that right now. So if you wanted to have a career in politics in Rome, first of all, it helped to be in the nobility or the upper class. Now, as time went on, that changed a bit, and we'll talk about that. But, you know, just a basic poor man is probably not going to be able to do it. They're not going to accept it. So, um, Ninette, that might have been Mike. Um, anyway, it's because I stopped it. Um, sorry, I'm talking to my wife. Anyway, um, so, oh, there's Musi. I thought she was already in. You might want to call him and see what he wanted. Um, anyway, um, so if you, if you decided that you, that you wanted to be, um, that you wanted to have a career in politics, say, then the first thing you want to do is decide on that. And you're going to run for the office of Quester. And you're probably going to be a noble. Poor people, you know, a poorer man was not most likely going to or a person whose family had never been in office before, probably is not going to get elected um, until a little later in Roman history, at least that's true. So you want to be Quester, you're going to be a noble. And you're going to run when you are 30. The youngest age at which you can do this job is when you're 30. You can't even run for it before that. Now, you may not get elected when you're 30. You may have to wait till you're 31. But the earliest you could do it was at 30. Now, so what are these guys? These are, these are about, I think about 20 of them were elected every year. And these are financial officials. They're a little bit like secretary or clerks. And what they do, some of them serve in Rome and help the government uh, pay. Like they might help with the finances. They might help keep records, um, that sort of thing. Some of them might go with the army. And in that case, they would pay the soldiers. They would act, sort of act as a quartermaster. And uh, so they would basically keep records of one kind or another. Uh, and so a guy served in this office for a year, and that's all. It was just more or less a financial. It probably was rather a boring job, I guess, unless you like math, unless you like accounting. But uh, anyway, so probably uh, you would serve for, well, you would only serve for a year in any case. And then you could not serve again for 10 years. You could not hold another office again for 10 years. For, uh, you couldn't succeed yourself as if anyone would want to succeed themselves as quester. Probably not. All right. Once you've been a quester, you are automatically in the Senate. You automatically become a member of the Senate from then on for the rest of your life, unless you get thrown out of it. All right. The next office in the, in the um, Corsus Honorum is the Praetor, the Praetorship, spelled P-R-A-E-T-O-R, pronounced Praetor. That's like a judge, and you had to be 40. You couldn't serve in this office until you were 40. Now, these guys mostly are judges. Uh, but this office did also have what's called the imperium. That means that these guys also can command troops if necessary. For example, if both consuls get killed, these guys would take over the government. Um, these guys would could go out 
with the army. They could lead men. They could command men. They had the power of life and death, if necessary, over someone. Um, but mostly what they do is try cases. So they would be in charge of the court system and they would listen to cases. So you had to know some law and you had to know a little bit about, uh, you know, how to try a case. And that's what they would do. And they would serve for a year. All these offices are good for a year. That's all. The last office, the highest office in this course of so norm is consul. You could not be a consul until you were 43. You could not even think of running for it until you're 43. Um, now, this guy is a little bit like our president. It's the highest office and somewhat like our president, except that two of them serve together every year and they have equal power. Now, sometimes they would draw lots and say, like, you meet, you're going to be consul today and I'm going to be consul tomorrow. I'm going to be in charge the next day and you're going to be in charge the next day. It would take every other day of being in charge. Or sometimes one would stay in the city of Rome and one would take the army out in the field. If the army were having to fight, they would command the army. Um, and they're also in charge of the government, of the basic government. Uh, they would act as our president. They would bring things to the Senate. They would preside over the Senate. That's a little different than what we have because they would actually preside. All right, so now... What if you, uh, there are two more offices that are not in the Corsus Honorum, but you might want to consider running for them. One of them is the Edile ship. You could run for Edile between being Quester and Praetor or any time after that. Now, this office was an expensive office. You would, if you got in this office, you better be ready to borrow some money or spend some of your own money. Um, and the reason is, this is a guy who is in charge of any kind of public place. Um, so, for example, um, if, uh, if they were having public games, you would be in charge of making sure the games were presented. You would make sure that they were... Uh, you would make sure that the games went well, and you would even be in charge of... of showing how elaborate they were. And so the reason you might want to be an Edal is if the games were really good and people said, man, oh, Tom really threw us a party this year. When it came time for you to run for the next office, they're going to remember that and they're going to vote for you. And so it was a way of kind of buying people's votes, you might say. And, uh, but it would cost you a great deal of money. Uh, and these guys are anything public. They're also in charge of the police force. Uh, they're in charge of the grain supply, anything that has to do with the city, with the public operation of the government. Okay, Tribune. Now, these guys are important. As you know or may know, in Rome, you had two classes of people. You had the patricians, which were the upper classes. You had the plebeians, which were the lower classes. Now, as time went on, they got more and more equal, and we'll talk about that. But one thing the plebeians had to protect their rights, they had an officer called the Tribune. And this Tribune had a power that was really incredible, and a lot of people wanted to have this power. In fact, people today would like to have this power. And that is the power of the veto. So say that you're in the Senate and somebody brings up something that you as plebeian, plebeian Tribune think is improper. You can simply say the word veto. 
And that means all discussion has to quit. It cannot be discussed any further. It can't be even considered any further. It's a dead issue. And so because of that, a lot of people wanted to have this office. And later on in Roman history, you had patricians who were getting adopted into plebeian families so that they could have this job. So that's how, uh, you know, that's kind of how important it got to be. All right. Uh, then you have uh, another office above the consul. You had to be a consul before you could have this office, the censors. These guys ran every five years. They took censuses and they looked at the Senate. And if somebody in the Senate were immoral or didn't conduct themselves properly or were guilty of bribery, they could actually put you out of the Senate. They could actually remove you from it. So uh, they were pretty, uh, pretty powerful uh, office. And so those are the main office. Now, the assemblies, we got to get the people involved here. There were two assemblies, the Comitia Tributa and the Comitia Centuriata. The Comitia Tributa was more for the lower people. Um, you were divided into tribes, and so it had nothing to do with wealth. wealth. They could issue laws pertaining to the common people, which are like plebiscites. They could elect plebeian edals and tribunes. And that's about all. They could not elect the higher magistrates. Now, the, the other assembly is based on wealth. And so everybody's divided into classes according to how much money they had. And so the upper classes, the ones that were more wealthy, probably made up more of it. They were they made up more because all the ones that were lower class or poor were put into one voting block. And so their vote didn't count quite as much. And this assembly could not present anything. They couldn't think up something to present to the Senate. They could only vote on things that were presented to them. And these assemblies, uh, everybody, every, every voting block had one vote. So even though uh, every individual had a vote within that block, when it came right down to it, each block had one vote. So everything was kind of lopsided, uh, as you can see, more based on the nobility. Um, but it still did give the common people a chance to vote, and their votes sometimes were attempted to be bought uh, because of that. Um, now, and so really, we have, you know, in our country, we have the judicial, the executive, and the um, legislative branches of government. In Rome, they had the consuls, which kind of represented the kings. I mean, they don't have kings anymore, but that's the that's the rule. That's like the royalty. I guess that's a little bit like our. Uh, I guess that's a little bit like our uh, executive, our president, and then you had the common people, uh, and then you had the Senate, which was more like our uh, legislative uh, body. So not quite perfect, not quite democracy, but. Not, not a dictatorship either. Uh, now, the Senate, let's talk about that. That's the real governing body of the Republic. Um, they controlled finances, so anything that any money spent, they're the ones that decided on that. They controlled foreign policy. They controlled uh, anything that came before the Assembly had to come through the Senate first. And uh, all debate was in the Senate. So uh, that's really where a lot of decisions got made. 
And this system worked until the trouble was Rome got too big or the, the whole Roman Empire got too big for this system to work very well. Because one thing, once you were done being a consul, you were shipped off to a province to be a provincial governor. But the trouble was when you did, nobody controlled what you did. So you could rip the provincials off royally. You could rip money off from them and you could spend very little on them and you could extort. And, and so that's how a lot of people made money. You know, you might spend a lot of money being edal, but you could make it up when you went to the province. You could get it back that way. Uh, and so a lot of people did. And that's not very good for people you're governing. Uh, but they didn't worry much about them. They worried about the Romans, but they didn't worry much about the provincials. They just treated them however they wanted to, uh, which was a weakness of the system. Any comments or questions about this? Didn't mean to keep talking all day today, but. Well, keep this in your mind. By the way, the, the Romans didn't learn years like we do. You know, when you took history, you learned 1492 or whatever. They didn't learn that. They learned who was consul in those years. So immediately, if someone said in the consulship of Julius and Caesar, they knew that meant 59 BC. If somebody said in the consulship of Marcus Cicero and Antonius, um, Gaius Antonius, they knew that meant 63 BC. So when you said the name of... Yes. Sorry. I didn't mean mm -hmm. to interrupt. No, please do. Mary Carla Hayes. Yes, Mary Carla. Yeah, I'm looking at this, and I've always been confused because of the relationship to all of these, the consuls, say, and the Caesars, you know, mm -hmm. and, I, you know and also how they were put into blocks and they voted, uh, you know, you, you were assigned to um, blocks and your block cast a single vote. Was that sort of a, a precursor to the Electoral College? Yes, yes, yes. I'm glad you said that. Yes, it was. It is like the Electoral College. And this is where they got the concept of the Electoral College, I think. Yeah, it's what I always wondered that. And I, I'm confused about the relationship between these governing officials and the Caesars. Okay. Well, what happened when the Caesars came in? I mean, the Caesar, Octavian is the first one, really. He's going to become a dictator, but he can't call himself a king because the Romans hate kings and they'd kill him if he thought he was going to be a king. So instead of calling himself a king, or instead of calling himself a dictator, he simply says, I'm, I'm nothing more than the first citizen, just like, just like the head guy in the Senate. That's all I am. I'm the first citizen. And so they kept the government running. They kept the Senate meeting. They kept the consuls. Everybody was elected consul. They had two people were elected consul every year. They were kind of figureheads because the emperor was really in charge. But he kept it going, and he kept bringing things up in the Senate. And of course, the emperor had two things that he could do now that made the Senate sort of go his way. One is he controlled the army. So you better do what he wanted or he'll, he could send his army against Rome if he wanted to. And the second thing he had, he can control the finances. He's, he's, he's the financial man. The Senate's not going to do that anymore. So the Senate kind of has to dance to his tune. But, but they kept the basic machinery as it always had been going the same way. It would be like if somebody became dictator of the United States, but you still have a president elected every four years, you still have the Supreme Court, you still have the, uh, you know, the Senate, the Congress, but they're doing what they know the dictator wants done. And that's that's what happened when the emperors took over. So the government kept going the same way, but one man is telling everybody pretty much what to do and they'd better do it. 
Oh, I see. And then the reason they kept these at such short terms, they didn't want anybody to get too much power. Is that's, that that's right. They keep them short terms and, and right. mostly you have some kind of check, like two consoles serving at one time. None was supposed to be over the other. Now, you know, when Julius Caesar was consul, remember his his colleague objected to some of what he was doing. He just took him, threw him off the platform. And after that, his colleague kept saying, the omens are bad. We're not supposed to be doing any laws today. And that should have stopped the laws. But Caesar just ignored him and passed them anyway. So Caesar passed all kind of laws that really weren't laws because they weren't legally done. And as soon as he gets out of office, he could be prosecuted for that. And that's why he kept an army and kept serving as provincial governor in, in Gaul or something. So that as long as he had his army, he couldn't be tried. As soon as he loses his army, he can be tried. And that's why he he had to keep his army no matter what. Because if he this loses it, he can complex. be brought up on all this treasonal activity that he's been doing. Yeah, this is sort of complex. And I was looking at those blocks of electors and wondering if the, the amount of um, you know pool they had depended on their wealth, it looks it like. It does. It does in the Comitia Centuriata. Yes. In, in the tri Tributa, it's more made up of tribes, which aren't based on wealth. But but in the Centuriata, it is wealth. And so the, the wealthy guys, the blocks were more... They had more blocks than the, all the common people sort of were in one big block. And, wow. Uh, so. wow. Gary, so, mm -hmm. did, the, did the Senate meet all year round? I thought they only met in like the good weather or something. They met all the time. The only time oh. they didn't meet was during holidays. They okay. never met on a holiday. Okay. And uh, that's about all. When, when there was elections, I mean, I don't think they met every, every, every day, but they the consul could convene, convene them whenever he wanted to. I thought they were always going off to their country villa somewhere. Well, they would. But now we have a story in our book that I used to teach from. And there was a story where the guys were all at their summer house. Of course, this was under the emperors. And all of a sudden, the father gets a note and it says, the emperor wants to consult the Senate. So the whole family has to go uh, back to Rome okay. right in the middle of the hot summer. So if the emperor said he wanted to consult the Senate, you better get back there. Hmm. And... Um, but but yes, you're right. I'm sure in the summer they probably tried to take breaks and get out to the country and that kind of thing. And I'm sure that if you were in the Senate, you would know when they were going to meet, when they weren't going to meet, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And no children were allowed to go to the Senate and no one was allowed to go and observe. However, they left the doors open so you could stand outside and listen. Right. But right. you could not actually go in. Mm -hmm. And that was because there's a story, a funny story. That this kid, the father used to take their sons to the Senate. And so the father took this little kid, Publius Papirius, or whatever his name was. And when he got home, his mother said, what did the Senate talk about today? Well, he didn't want to tell her because he knew he wasn't supposed to tell her. But she kept bugging him, you know, what did they talk about today? So he said, okay, well, he invaded on whether a husband should have more than one wife or whether a <laughs> wife should have more than one husband. So the mother gets all excited and she goes and tells all her women friends about this. And the next day when the senators are on the way to the Senate, all these women like come up and say, please, please make it so that a woman can have more than one husband, not so that a husband can have more than one wife. And the Senate's going, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, what are you talking about? And finally, when they got in the Senate, the boy told what he had done. And they praised him. They said, you kept our secret. You know, you, 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 that was very clever of you. But after that, they never let kids come to the Senate. So that's kind of funny. But anyway, whether that really happened or not, who knows? That's a story. Anyway. 
That's the story. You can sort of picture something like that happening. Um, any other questions on this? Okay. Um, let's look at our exercises. Now, let's see. I don't think we did any of these declensions this week, did we? Don't think we did. No. Uh, do you want to do these or do you want to just let them go for this week? Hurrah and honest. And you think you know how to do them? Is there any that you had questions on for letter A? <laughs> I might send them out to you. Maybe that would be quicker if I just sent you those answers and you can look at them. Those of you that want to do it. Let's just look at B then. B, we're especially working on accusative expressions today. Accusative expressions. So number one. Is there one a way is, with some of these lessons um, that uh, it might be helpful for some of the students if you wrote which declension some of them were? Because there are a couple of them that look well, like. Actually, I do. But you have to know how to tell what declension. For example, when I write hurrah slash oh, that's the a. first one. Yeah. What the, okay. What if I write honest slash I? Okay, I see what you're saying. Third. That second declension. Second. Yeah, I. Second. Now, if I write mainsis, mainsis, that shows you it's third declension and it's I stem because it's the same nominative and genitive. If I say hames, hames, is, that's third declension. If I say istas, uh, istatis, that's third declension. Declension, yes. So see what I'm doing is testing you whether you can tell what declension oh is i see what you're ended. doing here because i was that's why people might get confused if we didn't well they probably will and, and if i were a nice man i'd probably say third but then this way you have to kind of it's figure learning, it yes and that's why i did it that way that's why i did it but i'll i'll send these to you because uh it might uh it might just be as easy well anyway number one how would you translate maltas horras agricoli agros Arant et kibum parant. Farmers plow many hours in the field. No, plow fields many hours. And they plant food. They prepare. They prepare oh, okay. food. So for many hours. Yes, you're fine. You did it fine. You see, that's fine. For many hours, the farmers plow the fields and prepare food. Good, good, good job. Accusative of extent of time. Yeah, accusative time and accusative right. object. Okay. Right. Both, both in that sentence. Right. All right. Number two, pueri romani ad atenas iterfakian et ibi anum manent. Now, I could have made this one a little easier for you if I had said unum anum. Might have made, you might have gotten it better. So, what? The Roman boys did Boy. what? Um, they made a trip to trip to Athenas to Athens to, to Athens, Athens to Athens. By the way, notice that word is plural in Latin, just as I guess it is in English. Athens is plural in Latin. Hmm. All right, and what they do, and there they stayed a year. They stay a year. Yeah. Yes, I know. Um, that was the university in those days. Every Roman kid would go to Athens and spend a year studying over there. If you were a noble Roman, learning about, you know, philosophy and all that stuff. Oh, this is only the Roman. patrician class. That oh, yeah. That. Oh, yeah. Well, unless you were a wealthy plebeian, you might send your son there. Uh, but, yeah, you had to have some money to do it. 
The girls had to stay home, right? The girls had to stay home. Yeah, they didn't get to go. You would never send your girl to Athens alone. (laughs) If you sent her, you'd send her mother with her or her, her, uh, what would you call them? Chaperone or whatever you want to call them. You would never send a single female to, to anywhere without her mom or a chaperone uh, in those days. You wouldn't. All right. Number three, Mater Percasam et Inhortum Prope Flumen Ambulant. Mm-hmm. These are easy. Mother walks. No. Ambulant. Yes. yes. She walks. Uh, through her house and in the garden, near and the into, river. Into the garden. Remember, into, into the garden. Near the river. Near the river. There river. We go. And I was thinking that hortum, uh, horticulture. That yep. <laughs> That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. Yep. Horticulture. Horticulture is the study of garden plants, like flowers and that sort of thing. Uh, all right. Mercator maltos dies transmare ad novam teram interfacit. The sailor, I mean, the, the, the uh, salesman. Yeah, a merchant. <laughs> salesman. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Hey, he really is a traveling salesman, too, isn't he? Because. <laughs> Okay. Uh, he made a journey of many days across the ocean to a new land. You got it. Yeah, you got it. A merchant makes a journey for many days across the sea to a new land. Yes. Good. All right. Post pugnam, dukes ite, dukes inter milite stat at pacem hominibus dot. After the fight. Mm-hmm. After the battle or after the fight. What's a dukes? A leader. A leader. Um, he stands between the soldiers, soldiers and, and, and gives, gives peace to men. Peace to men. And, and gives men peace. Yeah. Yeah, gives peace men. Um, what's that word before dot? Because I have a bad dot in my brain. Uh, Hominibus. Oh, that I, you know what? I, it, the dot one is gone. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not. I'm sorry. It's hostibus. I'm sorry. It's, it's hostibus. My dot must be bad. After the battle, the leader, the general stands between the soldiers and gives peace to the enemy. Out to the enemy because that's supposed to be that man. Yep, yep, yep. No, you're right. You're right. Hostibus. All right. Historical thing about you know him giving peace to the enemy. Is there something? Is there something you're alluding to there? Well, um, in not really, but in Virgil's Aeneid, one of the things the Romans did. What does that thing say? you know, you, Roman, you are to rule countries and empire, uh, give peace to the suppliant and crush down the proud or something like that. So, you know, even though they were your enemy, when you defeat them, then if they surrender or if they're defeated, you take them and make peace with them and you don't kill them off. You can help it. I mean, 
you may kill a few of them, but uh, <laughs> they made a lot of slaves. That's where they got a lot of they, slaves. They got a lot of slaves that way. Yes. Yeah. So some of them would be slaves. There's one point where Caesar um, defeats this Gallic tribe. And I think what it says in Caesar, it doesn't, it says he had them, he considered them in the number of the enemy. And that simply means he took them as slaves mm. or killed them. But usually they would try, if you surrendered, they would try to let you, you could have your own religion. You could have, you know, you, you had to serve Rome. You had to pay tribute. Yeah, pay tribute or whatever taxes. But but they would not usually torture you or anything like that uh, unless you were resisting or, you know, some of the soldiers may have gotten taken as slaves, whatever. All right. Mercator longum tempus iter ad orbem facet at post longum iter kibum at weenum wearies orbis wendit. That's a long sentence. The merchant makes a long journey to the city. Mm -hmm. And after a long journey or trip, um, he sells uh, wine and food mm -hmm. to the uh, orbis in the city to the Men to the men of the city. Of the men, men of the of city. The, yeah, there. Okay, I so the only thing I would correct is longum tempus means for a long time. So the merchant, for a long time, makes a journey to a city, and after a long trip, sells food and wine to the men of the city. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, all right. Women do not like mice. <laughs> Femina. Um. That means a woman, one of them. How do we say women? Nine. Oh, right. Yep. Fame and I. Fame and I. Non-amat. Non-amat. That doesn't love. I'm trying to think of like. Isn't there another? Same thing. Amant. Non-amat. Oh, well, you could say it's not pleasing to them, but we haven't learned that yet. Yes, I, mean, I was well, thinking we... of it. I couldn't think of that word. And... Block in. I didn't. I guess I could use amant. Non you can. Moro. You can. Muras. Right. Muras. But I would say fame and I muras non amant. Fame and I muras non amant. All right. The woman stands near the mouse. <laughs> My mother. Femina. Femina stat prope mirem. Murem, yes. Femina prope murem stat. Okay, three. The boy sees wolves near the river. Hmm. Puer. Rope mm -hmm. blumen. Volpe. Mm -hmm. um, Volpe. I'm trying to think of the right. Oh, lup lupos. Oh, lupos. What lupos. Am I doing? Lupos. We did. Yep. Okay, so puer, lupos, prope, flumen, with that. And the last one, the, the farmers, language interference problem. There. Oh, that happens all the time. Yeah. Think of French, lu, and I, what is it in Spanish? Lobo, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the farmer stands between the dog and the wolf. Probably going to get bitten. Agricola inter canem. And mm -hmm. lupum stock. Mm -hmm. Good job. All right. Very good. <laughs> now, this lesson is the ablative case, and in particular, with phrases, with the ablative. Um, the ablative, I give you the endings. 
long A. The, the, by the way, the date of an ablative plural is always exactly the same. It's In fact, some textbooks call it the dablative plural. It's always <laughs> the same. So if you know the date of plural, you know the ablative plural. If you know the ablative plural, you know the date of plural. It's always the same. Never a difference. Singular. Long A in first declension. Long O in second declension. Short E in third declension. Uh, U, long U in fourth declension. And long E in fifth declension. And so it's not too hard to learn. Now, prepositions take the ablative. Usually they're resting prepositions. Things like, things like uh, you know, with or or without or from or things like that. Usually they're restful. Sometimes they're motion from. But usually fairly restful. Whereas the accusative prepositions are what I call butt kick prepositions. They're moving somewhere. Now, the big thing here is is the with phrases. You have ablative of means, ablative of manner, and ablative of accompaniment. They all mean with, but there's a slight difference. If you tell with what instrument you do something, that's the ablative of means, and it does not take the word kum. So like baculo, magister, pueros, werberat, the, the teacher beat the boys with a stick. You don't need the word kum because it's mm. by means of a stick. Mm. If you want to tell with whom you do something, even if it's an animal, by the way, use kum plus the ablative. That's called the ablative of accompaniment. Think of the word kum, accompaniment. You must, it's always with people or animate objects. So kum uxore maritus and horto sed at the the husband sits with his wife in the garden. And then three, ablative of manner, is using abstract nouns like with care, with concern, with joy, with speed, things like that. And you can also translate them as adverbs. He lives with joy, joyously, and you can you, you should use kum with them. So that's the main thing. And you can look over it. Uh, you can look over it. Uh, as you as you want to this week and see what you can do with it. Now, we have a little song we can sing since it's Thanksgiving time. This is a very easy song. It's only, it's only three words. It's a three-word <laughs> song. Um, and this word is, this song is, I suppose, from, from Catholic Latin. Um, and it simply says, Jubilate Deo, which means thanks to God, jubilate Deo, thanks oh. to God, alleluia. That's all to it. And if you ever teach this class, if you ever teach this in class, Carl, you can sing it in rounds. It's very pretty to sing in rounds. But it goes like this. And please mute if you want to sing along with me. But it goes, jubilate Deo, jubilate Deo. Alleluia. Jubilate Deo. Jubilate Deo. Alleluia. So it's a nice Thanksgiving, a uh, little Thanksgiving mm. song. Mm -hmm. Jubilate Deo. Jubilate Deo. Alleluia. And if you sing it in rounds, I wish we could on Zoom, but it would sound horrible. Uh, you can start. You You start the next group there and get it going. Get about four groups doing it. 
It's very pretty. Very pretty. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any questions on this? Well, I since to get with you, I would like to to commit this one to memory because um, this one I would like to teach if I you know when I'm teaching the Latin courses. That song, you mean? That that song is is good, and especially if you teach in a Christian school, they'd love it. Yes. You know? Um. Yeah, it it is a good song, and we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks with Christmas coming. We're going to be doing, uh, you know, some some Christmas songs again, like we did last year. And I'll probably send a few in. I don't know how to do it. I could send you the whole list, but I think it's easier if I concentrate on a few each week and uh, maybe do it that way. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I have 16 of them, and you don't need all 16 for sure. Um, um, By the way, I wanted to just check on you guys. Next week, we could take a breather and not have class. What do you want to do? Do you want to meet or not? How do you feel? It's getting near Thanksgiving. Well, I'm okay with it, but if other things... How does everybody else think? Do you want to have it or do you want to not have it? It's up to you. I don't care really uh, one way or another. I didn't know if you... Are you going someplace for Thanksgiving? Uh, I'm, going, here, I'm going to Easton. On thir huh. just on Thursday, just for Thursday, just to eat dinner with yeah. my mother. That's all. I'm just going on Thursday. So I'll be here all week. So, okay. Uh, what time is my, I think my appointment is in the morning. So I'll be back in plenty of time for class. Um, okay. So if, if you guys don't care, I guess we'll have class uh, that week then. And we'll just go ahead and have it and people can come and those who can come can come and those who can't can okay um next week we're gonna talk we've been doing cases and we've got all our cases now pretty much and so next week i thought we would talk about adjectives we haven't done too much with adjectives and i thought we would do a little bit with them next week and uh talk a little more about the plebeians and the patricians and uh a little bit of Roman history, some early Republican heroes, maybe. Uh, we'll talk about. We'll see how it goes. Um, let's look at these declensions then, since we got a little bit of time. We got uh, got about five minutes. Got about five minutes, so we can look at some declensions. Who can decline Hora for me? What does Hora mean, by the way? Our yep. Our time. I can't now. Oh. I I can't find anything. I, okay. I well, that's because we've gone. That's because we've gone back up to the very top, right after the Roman government thing. I, I was looking for the song, and I finally yeah. found. And that it was at the bottom. Movie. It was at the very bottom. That's. I, I don't know how to make it any easier. I don't know. I don't know how to do it any better. I'm sure there's a better way. Um, but how would you do Hora? Who can do that? Anybody can do that one. That's a pretty good one. Pretty easy. In fact, we can sing it to Jingle Bells, right? Remember? I, I, um, ah, I, order me sussies. I, I, um, ah, I, order me sussies. Remember that? You can do that. So, hora, 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 hora. Oh, we didn't do the um, ablative yet, did we? So, hora, 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 hora. 
and horai hororum horis horas. There we are. Hora horai horai horam horai hororum horis horas. Any questions? All right, honest. You that a little slower because I, I was trying to hear what you were doing with the jingle bells. That was very clever. No, uh, I, I, um, ah, uh, that is A, A, E, A, E, A, M, long A. Uh, I, I, um, ah, I, armisas, ease. I, I, um, ah, I, armisas, ease. I even used to give a little laugh at the end of it just to kid the kids, try to get them to get into it a little bit. Um, so it's uh, I I um ah uh, I order me sussies uh, I I um ah uh, I order me sussies. Now of course, when you did this declension, you didn't know the ab of it, but now you do. So now, same thing, Carla, with this next one, honest. You can do it the same way. Same thing. Okay. Shutting down. Uh oh. Anus, ani, ano, anum, ani, anorum, anis, anos. Now, third declension, we have to do a little different. Third declension, we can do, uh, well, we actually, we could do it the same way. We could do it with, is, well, blank, is, e, m, a, we could do that. Uh, we also could do it. Another way they sometimes do it is to sing it to the tune of Ferrajaka and go um, blank is e. We say blank because the nominative can be anything. Blank is e m a s um or e um ibis ace ibis. That's a third declension. You don't know it. Gonna fail. Gonna fail. I used to say. No, it's supposed to be. That's a third declension. Now you know it. Sing with me. Sing with me. Um, you can use either one, depending on your class. Um, so this is going to be mainsis, mainsis, main c, main sem, main sace, mensium. Notice I U M, mainsibus, main sace. All right, one, but you're not you didn't do the ablative, right? No, because well, okay. no, because we hadn't when we did this, we didn't know the ablative. Okay. Remember, you just got that this week. If right. you want to add the ablative ending, I will tell you what it is. It's for for hora, it's hurrah and horis. For anus, it's ano and anis. For mainsis, it's mainsay and mainsibus. For hames, here's a, a word: hames, hames, hame, hamem, and the ablative would be hame. Hames, hamum, hamibus, hames, hamibus. I stas done the same way. I stas, I statis, I stati, I statim, I state, I states, I statum, I statibus, I states, I statibus. There we are. We've done it. We've done it, guys. We did it. We're at your two minute mark. And we're two minutes away. So next week, try to do your ablative sentences, and uh, they're not too long. And uh, we'll sing our Ubalate song again, maybe, and we'll maybe uh, maybe even bring a Christmas carol in. Maybe we'll bring Jingle Bells in next week. Okay, so the um, the the song is at the very end. The declensions yes. are in the middle, and I right. saw at some point all the uses of the ablative. That's uh, okay. That's after the sentences we just did. 
Okay, because I they, and it they, says lesson fifty two. It says th it says things from lesson fifty three, rather. Okay, says, I see that now. And that's where all the new uses of the ablative are. Um, if you guys can think of a see, the reason I don't want to give you, I know it's easier if everything's in one lesson, whereas if you have to jump from lesson to lesson, would you rather me? No, this is good. It's just that okay. I, I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe the sense would be more sensible than the touch. I'm, I'm just having trouble with my Braille displays. And yes, they are. They're not perfect, and they don't do right, and they don't indent. Do you? I don't think the uh, they don't indent right. No, uh, it says I. Whenever I indent it, it says I. I don't know. I don't know. With Windows, it does very well. With the Mac and with these Braille displays, it just does not do quite what it should do i don't know why no and i can i'm having a hard time with these columns and knowing what goes with what now does the does your sense now i do i do find that the declensions are pretty much in columns in mine at least yeah the sense might work a little better than the touch i i, I don't know i should bring it up on the start, touch and see what it does they, but they, they, i'm starting to get some bad dots on the touch yeah. and it's really messing me up yeah that's not good that messes you up <laughs> um, it should be in columns though it for me it comes out pretty well in the columns okay. but i don't know what other people would do would find in your notes and by um, the way i'm still looking for a better way to do this, you know. I'll so tell you what, I'm I'm still with these, you know, these macrons and accents. I wish they had been taught to me in the first place because um, I'm really sometimes having a still rough time getting used to those. You don't need to know most of them. You don't need to know. I didn't teach my kids most of them. I only taught think, them the ones that made a difference. I think my professor took the lazy way out. <laughs> Yeah, most people, yeah. I don't think. Now, some of them are important, like long ERE versus short ERE and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, we're at the top of the hour. Okay, we've got to go, guys. We'll see you later. Thank you, Kayla. Oh, you're welcome. This was enjoyable. All right. We'll see you.